Welcome to a special double feature of Drive Time, our UCLA Anderson FEMBA podcast. I'm Dylan Stafford, and today, in honor of FEMBA Palooza 5, you get a double feature. First, we have a brief but important interview with Christy Marquez, our associate director and the person in charge of FEMBA Palooza. My interview with Christy is then followed by this week's podcast with Victor Gebhardt, 2018. Victor's story is kind of amazing. He is a successful entrepreneur, and he is going to do something with his summer quarter after his first year that no one else has ever done in FEMBA. He is going to enter the 10,000-mile Mongol Rally before the start of fall quarter. He and two friends are going to drive from London, England to Mongolia. That's a 10,000-mile trip, and they're going to make it in a one-liter engine car, and they're going to raise a 1,000 pounds for charity. This is an amazing story. Um, they're going to have a website. It's called friskydingo.rocks, and I'll put the link in the um, in the notes for this podcast. And you'll be able to follow Victor and his team and their journey over the course of the summer. So that's today's podcast. But the double feature is what we're doing right here, right now. So here with me in, in podcast studio land is Christy Marquez. Now, most of you know Christy because she runs the coffee chats, and she's our primary travel recruiter. She goes to all the places up and down the West Coast. Uh, does a lot of corporate visits. So many of you met Christy when, when you applied or you've met her since. So that's how you know her. I know Christy as a key leader on our team. She is one of the people who really makes everything that we do that works, work. <laughs> so um, in addition to all her regular duties, we came up with this Palooza idea five seasons, four summers ago. And, um, and we've had 500 people come the first year, 700 the second year, 800 the third year. Last year, over 1,000 people attended Femba Palooza 4, and we're going to surpass that this year. So um, what you don't know is how much work is in the background, and Christy knows that because she's in charge. So thank you for being here, Christy. Thank you for having me, Dylan. It's it, exciting. It's Wednesday before Femba Palooza 5. You've got <laughs> lanyards and T-shirts and a gazillion <laughs> organizing details with the Fembassadors. Um, so thank you for carving out 10 minutes for this. And, and I promised you it wouldn't take long. And uh, the, the question I wanted to ask, so... I mean, you may get lost in the details because there's so much work that you do that people can't even see, but you've also had the opportunity to attend every single Femba Palooza. So tell me, like, what do you like about this big effort that we put on for our, our students and alumni each year? Yeah, well, what I like about Femba Palooza is the fact that it's such a huge event that is not only for students and alumni, but also for their family. You know, mm. I think that making time for including family, you know, and in their educational experience and networking is, is key because you want to make sure that everyone stays engaged and feels that they are able to include the people they, they love. So the fact that people are able to network in a casual setting, outdoors, it just makes it such a unique experience. So I really think that that the whole family and coming together uh, aspect of it is what makes it what it is and such a success. 
I love that. Yeah, it's a special. It's not your typical NBA event. No. People are wearing shorts. <laughs> they smell like suntan lotion. Uh-huh. You know, we have good food. And we, this year, we're going to have the Femme Bale. Femme Bale, <laughs> yep. One of our entering students is a master brewer and is going to provide the libations. Uh, like, I love those little <laughs> miracles that we have every yeah. year. There's always something new. We have the face paint lady coming for the kids with mm-hmm. the bounce house. That's one of our treats. And the balloon lady. She's amazing. She can make anything out of balloons. You you ask for anything, literally, like a rocket ship. She'll make you like a rocket ship or a rocket backpack, whatever you want. <laughs> She's pretty amazing. So make sure to stop by. Yeah, if you have little ones, bring them along. And then for the grown-ups, the beer garden and the opportunity zone, how many clubs do we have this year? This year, we actually have about 23 clubs participating, which yeah. is like over double what we had last year. So there's really something for everybody. Yeah, and we have double the number of entrepreneurs. And then with our learning on the lawn, tell people a little bit about, because the ambassador, the organizing committee has just gone crazy this year. So how many yeah. learning on the lawn sessions? Yeah, so this year there's eight learning on the lawn sessions. And so pretty much every half hour, a different guest speaker, uh, including faculty, staff, current students and alumni will be talking about an interesting topic, um, giving advice on a certain topic, um, or doing a mini lecture. So there will be plenty of opportunity to learn while having fun in the sun. So, <laughs> And yeah, I just, I, I love that because it, it's not just a party. You know, it, we also have some educational content, you know, some something, little tips and tricks. Professor She, Margaret She, um, who is accountable, obviously, for FEMBA and the full-time program. She's doing uh, uh, learning on the lawn. Gonzalo Frasius is going to tell our alumni and our internationally minded people how to how to really grow their business, or entrepreneurs, I should say, how to grow their business on um, internationally. Uh, and then we have current and alumni. We have uh, David Cooley, the director. Director of, of Career Services, our very own uh, for, uh, Career Services for Alumni, and our very own Matt Gorlick is going to give an alumni perspective and really talk about his 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 hard right pivot from from Disney to now being you know one of the co leaders of our team. So um, now, in terms of attendance, we've had the registration open for a month or so. We have we're about 102 RSVPs below last year. It just jumped up another 100 in the last 24 hours. I've bet Gonzalo, Dean Fracius, I've bet him a cortado that we're going to surpass <laughs> last year's numbers. So you guys who are listening, you can help us win our bet by, if you're sitting on the fence and you haven't registered yet, sign up for God's sake. We want you there on Sunday. So, you know, why should people jump in and register? I think you've probably said a lot of that, but, you know, what what is it that if you're if you just haven't, oh, I'm busy or this or that, why should people take some time out of their life and be with us Sunday afternoon? What would you tell them? Well, I would say, well, number one, why not? It's exactly. free food, <laughs> free parking, free uh, beer and wine, and just a lot of fun. Why isn't everyone registered? Know, right? we, we, we're baffled here. Come on. <laughs> Every single person should I don't be. get it. <laughs> so definitely that, I mean, how can you turn that down? And then aside from that, I, I really think that, you know, people don't really understand how much fun it's going to be till they're there and and they just realize like wow like this is like no other event I've ever attended at UCLA UCLA Anderson so just come you know come by you don't have to stay the whole time just stop by say hello and and get some good food and beer <laughs> <laughs> and share some cards and yeah, just open up get some to horizons know some people and help welcome the new incoming 
class of 2019 and congratulate the class of 2016 for yeah. their graduation. It's a big celebration, a big party together, you know? Yeah, yeah. We the, the class of 2016. They went to the second Femba Palooza, and now they're already yeah. They've already walked across the stage a month ago. It's amazing. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> so you've you've been at all four of them. You've been there since the inception, and, and you're making it great today. I, it's probably you probably have more than one. But if you could if you could tell people like a top Femba Palooza moment, what would you if you as you look back at all of them, what what's something that stands out for you? Yeah, I think there's probably a couple. Um, one that really stands out to me is the time that we actually planned Fembapuza on the the final World Cup game. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was, was an accident. <laughs> I think it was like two years ago, and when we realized that, we're like, oh my god, we have to somehow air this game at Fembapuza. So it was kind of a scramble last minute to to figure out how to provide uh, or get cable or you know. A satellite, satellite feed. feed. I don't know how you pulled that off. I, I don't know, but <laughs> it was crazy. It was kind of very last minute, but it all worked out. And in the end, people were just sitting around together, watching the final game and cheering together. So it just added this whole extra level of excitement to the day. Uh, so that was really fun. Another yeah. moment was uh, yep, last year, actually, when we had Joe and Josie Bruin uh, lead the eight. Clap or yeah, yeah, yeah. They clap. Yeah, that's right. Because at the group photo, we got every well, not everybody. Some people stay in the beer garden, but we got a lot of people (laughs) out on the big lawn. Yeah, so that was fun getting everybody together and doing the eight clap together with Joe Josie Bruin leading us. That was just just a classic UCLA moment. Yeah, oh, that really was. Yeah, with with Royce Hall in the background. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, um, thank you, Christy. On behalf of, you know, I don't know, two, 3,000 people who've attended by the time we get done on Sunday, because uh, Christy is really, you're the person. You know, we have tremendous support from our, we have a half the staff here at Anderson help out. We have a tremendous uh, planning committee on the staff side. And then every year, our ambassadors just, just amaze us with their contributions. But you are the linchpin who holds it all together. So thank you for your contribution to building just the special community that, that makes Femba so great so um, if you haven't registered jump in Christy and I have register now we we can't even understand why you haven't registered so um, there's about 24 hours left so make sure to go online and click the registration button bring your significant other and, and join us on Sunday yep All right. So thank you so much. Um, Now we're going to turn it over to the second half of our double feature and enjoy this amazing trip from London to Mongolia with Victor Gebhardt, FEMBA 2018. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this podcast. Let's just say hello. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself to our listeners, Victor, and let people know kind of your prior education and um, you're a successful entrepreneur. We'll get a little bit of your backstory before we jump into the details of your forthcoming Mongol rally. Sure. Uh, Thanks, Dylan, for having me here. And, um, yeah, I guess I'll get started by saying that um, I graduated with a degree in history from um, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and um, I had a very good time there. And uh, afterward, after I graduated, um, I uh, left and joined the Peace Corps, and I um, moved to Thailand. Um, And I lived there for – the Peace Corps was uh, two and a half, three years. Um, And uh, in total, I lived in Thailand for about seven years. 
um, after the Peace Corps, I worked for a nonprofit for um, about six months, traveling around leading volunteer projects. Um, and then after that, I started working um, uh, for a web hosting company and worked my way up um, in the ranks within the web hosting company. Um, how, how is your tie? Oh, I'm uh, perfectly fluent. Yeah. Wow. And did you speak any before you went? No, I spoke none. Really? Wow. So yeah. did you do language training with the Peace Corps prior yeah. to departing? Or? No. So the way it works is you, you arrive and um, everyone, uh, they move everyone to, or you, like your group, everyone who arrives. So my group was 60 people and they move us all into a, a small village um, and you live with a homestay family for two and a half months. Uh, so 10 weeks, uh, or, you know, like a quarter here at Anderson. Um, and basically you're just hitting the books. You're learning about the culture, learning about what uh, you're going to be doing occupation-wise and learning language. Um, and so you just do that for 10 weeks, and then you go by yourself to, in my case, the middle of nowhere, um, where nobody speaks any English, and uh, you sort of have to make do. Wow. And what was your assignment? What did you do? I was a teacher collaboration community outreach. Um, so what that means is I worked with two co-teachers to help them implement participatory education techniques. And I also traveled around the country doing um, teacher trainings. And then in addition, I worked with uh, local income generation groups. So people who are, made, you know, like um, weaving um, scarves or uh, sticky rice containers, stuff like that to help them uh, um, market their products. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that is great. And then at the end of that, what, how did you know you wanted to stay to, to do the nonprofit? So five years you stayed. That's a long... Yeah, seven in total, yeah. Um, so two years in the Peace Corps. And then an additional stay. five, yeah. Um, so I... Um, I was looking for a job um, actually in Cambodia. Um, at that point, I sort of wanted to go into nonprofit stuff or at least try it out. Um, and so I was looking around and um, I found a job uh, with a firm called the International Student Volunteers um, running projects for them. And um, it was two-week projects. Um, college freshmen would come out in their summers and do, um, you know, they want to do volunteer trips. And so, um, you know, my goal was to not only supervise, you know, the actual work that they were doing, but give them a, a real uh, cultural experience, uh, you know, so that they could see what Thailand was really like. Um, and so I, I did that in both Thailand and Vietnam. My goodness. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably an impossible question, but what did you like most about, you know, living in Thailand? Oh, that is an impossible question. Um what did I like most? Uh, the easy answer is the food, because mm. the food is just phenomenal. Um, but I think the thing that I love is just being able to, to walk through, um, you know, society or life and, and being able to just interact with uh, the people at the top end and at the bottom end um, and sort of really just cut through sort of the social barriers between people and be like, okay, you know, what's going on? Um, I used to walk down uh, the train tracks um, in the slums in Bangkok and just hang out with people, and those are some of my uh, fondest memories. Wow. My first time abroad was living in Mexico City. I lived with a family, and yeah, and, and the food was just magnificent. My, my Mexican host mother, there was nothing in the refrigerator. There was, you know, there was nothing in the refrigerator. She would walk to the market every morning, and there were five kids and two of us exchanged students and she would just feed us all this two-hour feast every afternoon and it was so delicious it's incredible uh, you know when you can get food that that is that fresh um you know that somebody nearby is growing or or that you know your host family is growing in that case um it's uh, 
I mess it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, it puts our pre-processed food <clears throat> in its place. So, okay, so you were there. 2014 must have been a big year then. So you transitioned seven years abroad. Mm-hmm. You say, okay, I guess I'm going to come back to the U.S. Yeah. And, uh, and then I'm going to be a multiple entrepreneur. So tell people, like, how did you, how'd you get into being, you know, a person who's starting up their own companies? Which one did you do first? Tell people about your companies. Sure. So um, I guess the first company I started was um, Collective Coffee. That's the name in, the, uh, in America. Um, it started out in Thailand, obviously. Um, and over there, it's called the Coffee Collective. Um, and, um, yeah, a friend of mine, um, we used to sit down and just share business ideas. Um, and one day we were uh, just, you know, hanging out and he came to me with the idea for a coffee company. Um, and it turned out he had all the connections. He he knew people who grew, um, you know, sustainable uh, coffee, direct trade coffee. Um, he knew uh, grocery store owners. Um, he himself ran uh, one of the more prestigious graphic design firms in Southeast Asia. Um, and really he needed somebody on the business end to be able to go through contracts, to be able to, like, do financials, stuff like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he asked me to be involved, um, and I started working with him on founding it, and we, we brought in an, an, another founder um, and worked for about a year just on um, really designing the packaging, getting the marketing message right, sourcing the right product. We ended up going with a different supplier than the one he had initially envisioned. Um, and, yeah, so now we have an international supply chain. Um, you know, we're in a couple of different uh, grocery chains, and we're about to expand into America. Um, the second business... Um, Just to, you know, yeah. not to interrupt you too much, but you did all that before you had your MBA with your history degree. Yes, yes, exactly. So you're one of these entrepreneurship is, is, a, is a living by learning. Yeah, I mean... Uh, learning the, by living, I should Yeah, that, well, the, the thing about life or, you know, entrepreneurship is, um, I mean, both. Uh, it's like you just get hit with problems, right? Uh, and you continue to get hit with problems that you can't solve. You don't have the knowledge to solve. You don't know how to do it. Um, and um, the trick is is a combination of faking it till you make it and then just learning really quickly and one of the things I've always been good at is like okay I need to know this yesterday uh, I'm going to like pull my network together I'm going to you know like do my research and try to figure out okay wait how do I do this um, and that's one of the things that has been really awesome about being here at Anderson is just the ability to sit down with teachers even teachers that I don't have in you know for class currently and just reach out to them and be like hey I'm not in your class. I have this problem. I have absolutely no idea how to solve this. I did this with uh, Gonzalo Frasius not too long ago. I know nothing about international tax law. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. I reached out to the price center. I'm like, who can I talk to about international tax law? I don't have money to pay, you know, some international tax lawyer. Uh, you know, we're just starting out. Um, and they were like, talk to Fratius. They reached out to him. He was very gracious. He sat down with me for an hour and a half. And oh we just, God. yeah, talked about uh, international tax law. And he was like, uh, I basically gave you my international tax class in an hour and a half. But uh, it was incredibly useful. And uh, the professors here, um, across a, a wide uh, spectrum have been really useful in both my businesses. 
Well, two quick shout-outs to Dean Fracious. One is he's going to teach Taking Your Business International at Fembapalooza, so he's going to do a Learning on the Lawn module. Oh, fantastic. Wish I was here. Yeah, well, we're getting to where you're going to be here in just a second. You guys, are, it's coming. The Mongol Rally. I'm telling you, I've never heard anything crazy like this. All oh, okay. It's coming. And then the other thing is is with his flex delivery, he now has a kind of build-your-own-ending to his international tax class where he has three different tracks depending on what your interest is. So he's, he's one of the architects of the flex delivery, and then he's specifically to that, to that point. Um, customizing how people can really get, you know, and that's different from just having a one-on-one yeah. half-office consult. So he's, a, he's an amazing human being. Uh, so tell us about your other business that you founded. So Sure. So um, I had a friend uh, from Peace Corps. We served in Thailand together, and um, he um, worked for the UN for a bit. Um, as a consultant, uh, he got his degree um, in um, development practice, master's in development practice, um, and then moved to India to work there. Um, and so I went to visit him, and he was working on um, a Berkeley Big Ideas application, um, and that's a, a competition for sort of big sustainable ideas, ideas that can change things. Um, and he asked me uh, to work on the application with him, so I did, and. Um, yeah, uh, we ended up winning um, and getting a uh, you know a small amount of seed funding um, to start up uh, this business. And so the idea is um, that with a business, it's really easy to see if it's successful or not. Right? Are you making money? Aren't you making money? Are you losing money? Is there growth, etc.? But when you talk about nonprofits, non uh, NGOs, um, it's very difficult to actually see. Are you helping people? How much are you helping people? Yeah. If I'm a philanthropist and I want to give money to a nonprofit and I'm looking at three nonprofits, how do I know where I get the most bang for my buck? And currently, um, there's a lot of uh, sort of work in the uh, econometrics field um, about how do you measure impact. But a lot of that is kept uh, pretty tightly in the academic sphere. And the idea was to build a tech uh, platform that would bring that to nonprofits. Um, and so it's a platform that basically helps nonprofits uh, design projects around measuring impact. It helps them measure that impact, and then it helps them go out and get funding with that measurement. Um, and so that's what we're working on now. I was brought in because I have a tech background. Um, I know with my history degree, but uh, yeah, um, you know, I was working in the web hosting industry, and so um, you know, with my um, uh, development experience as well as my my tech background, um, it meant that you know I could oversee uh, prototype development on that project. Well, this is all good. So, you know, if this was a normal podcast, we might say, well, you have sort of a nonprofit, you have a non typical background, you didn't have a Fortune five hundred precursor to school you had this this extended stay in in southeast asia and that's all wonderful and that would be a little bit out of the norm but now let's just pivot to the real reason for the podcast which is you reached out to me to let me know that you're doing something incredibly incredible which is this mongol rally so that's the backstory i hope you guys enjoyed that this is a human being who's very interesting very accomplished making stuff happen but wait till you hear what he's up to now so Let's kind of go through the what, the why, the how. Tell me about this summer <laughs> adventure that you were about to embark on, because everyone on the podcast, you're going to be able to follow Victor's journey over the next couple of months. So let's jump on in. So I sort of thought, it w you know, I'm entering my MBA. It's time to grow up. 
like the year the time for adventures is over and you know it's like I'm, I gotta get down to school I gotta get serious with my career and then um, a friend of mine contacted me about something that had been on my bucket list for a while and he said I'm doing it this summer are you in and I had to say yes it, it being the Mongol rally it being the Mongol rally so the Mongol rally is um, basically there are three rules um, you drive a car uh, from London to Mongolia. Um, Let's and, just stop. Okay. Yeah. Just, you heard this? So, you know, Brexit, you know, they just left the EU, <clears throat> so he's going to go to London. Correct. And he's going to drive a car to Mongolia. Yes. Mongolia is not part of Great Britain. No, no. Not part not. of Western Europe. It's about 10,000 miles away. It's about 10,000 miles away. Okay, just wanted to nail that point. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so uh, that's sort of the first thing is you start in London and in Mongolia. Um, the second thing is you can't do it in any car. You have to do it in um, a tiny car. A tiny car. So what is a tiny car? So the rules say that the engine can be no larger than a liter. Um, in our case, that means we're doing it in a Nissan Micra, which we don't have in the States, um, but it's a 60-horsepower car. Six so zero. for people who don't know about engines, how many American cars can you buy in the store with a one-liter engine? Oh, I have no idea. Maybe like one. I, maybe, maybe none. Like a yeah. smart car, yeah. maybe? Yeah. I, like, so, I mean, smart cars are mostly electric, but yeah, there, there's, I mean, it's a sub-sub-compact, you know, yeah. a very tiny car. Like if you, if you don't know about <clears throat> engines, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Oh, yeah, not a problem. Or, but it, it like that's a big motorcycle, but it's not a big, I mean, it's, it's a non-existent U.S. delivered car. It's like... It's a yeah, go kart. Yeah, correct. Yeah, it's a tiny car. It's the kind of car your grandmother would drive to the grocery store. Yeah, it's kind of like the old, you know, the Mr. Bean cars or something like this. Yeah, it was actually sort of hard to find the car um, because they don't make cars that small anymore. So we had, we're, uh, our car was made in 2000. So it's a 16 year old car. You're driving a. 16-year-old, less than one liter car, 10,000 miles. What could possibly what, go yeah, wrong? Yeah, a couple of deserts, you know, like four mountain ranges. I don't see any problem here. <laughs> okay, what's the third rule? <laughs> uh, the third rule is you have to raise 1,000 uh, British pounds for charity. All right. Um, and currently we're 88% there. 1,000 British pounds for charity. So, okay, I don't know what the exchange rate is currently. But well, I mean, it dipped quite yeah, recently, unfortunately. Yeah, it just changed on the so. start of the week. Yeah. All right, so so there's these three components, and you said yes to this. Your friend called you, he asked you. Yeah. You said yes, this has been on my bucket list, and now is the time. Yeah, well, I mean, it made sense. Um, this was... Um yeah. Um, tell, me, tell me more about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, timing-wise, it was in summer. Right. Um, you know, I run my own businesses, um, and they're, well, at the point, they were set up to be fairly self-sustaining, you know. Right. Um, and so, you know, unfortunately, we decided to come into America, and uh, we just got our first order for, for America. So that's going, that's happening right now. I'm trying to set everything up before I leave. Um, I mean, I, we will have internet in some of these countries um so that's good uh but yeah it's uh i'm setting everything up to run on its own but um yeah um i got a job doing uh, consulting work for a real estate firm after i decided to do this um and they were very gracious they said um we'll hire you and also you can do the mongol rally Cool. Yeah, we'll give you that time off. So, you know, it all sort of made sense. I had people to go with. Um, one of the guys is a mechanic. Um, you know, I wasn't in school, uh, and uh, my job gave me the time off. So 
Yeah. And what's what's your charity of choice? Um, it, we're raising it for Cool Earth, which is um, a charity that um, helps uh, Peruvian rainforest tribes do rainforest conservation and sort of prevent illegal logging. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. All right. Because everybody on the podcast, you're going to be able to contribute to this. 10,000-mile journey. Okay. All right. So, um, and tell me about your teammates. So, there's three of you? Yep. Three of us. Um, one of them uh, is my former boss um, who uh, ran the web hosting company. He's an entrepreneur himself. He's starting a, a number of other businesses right now. Um, and uh, the other one is a mutual friend of ours from uh, college, and he's the mechanic. Yeah, and, and yeah. so talk about, you, you said when we talked the other day, you talked about your uh, first responder certified. So talk about the skill sets the three of you bring to this endeavor. Yeah, so um, I am a wilderness first responder. I got my uh, certification. It's a 90-hour certification approximately. Um, during uh, spring break, I went up to San Francisco, but uh, they also offer it um, here at UCLA. I just happen to be in San Francisco for spring break. Um, and so, you know, that allows you to deal with things like broken bones, snake bites, whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I wanted to make sure that I would be prepared for any sort of medical contingencies. So I guess I'm the medic of the group. Um, and um, uh, my friend Noah, he's uh, the mechanic. Um, and then um, our friend Arvand uh, is the third member, and he is uh, the adventurer. He's the guy who enables it all to happen. Noah, Victor, and Arvand? You're correct. Arvand. All right. Okay. And 10,000 miles. So tell me, now there's a couple different routes you can take. You were telling me you guys are going to peruse the southern route. Is that Yeah. Um, so in those three sort of rules that they lay out, um, they don't give you a route to take. You can go any way you want. Um, there's no support. There, there's no medic following you guys. There's nobody to... There's um, no sag wagon there. Yeah, there's, there, there's nothing. Um, you know, there, there's nobody. If you get stuck in the middle of a river, there's nobody to tow you out. you got to figure it out all yourself. Um, and that's sort of the idea. And the idea is you're driving this really tiny car and it will break down. Um, and you'll have to deal with it and interact with locals and figure things out. Um, so you, in doing that, London in Mongolia, um, you can go a number of different routes. Um, obviously, my first Google search was War Zones 2016, um, so I'll mark those on a map. So that sort of precludes Northern Africa, um, and it also precludes uh, going through Ukraine. So uh, what you're left with is either going through um, Scandinavia and then entering Russia that way. Um, you can go straight through Europe. Um, and then enter through enter Russia through sort of Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, um, or you can go um, basically the southern route, which is you go straight through Europe till you hit Romania, you go south um, through Turkey, and then um, you can either go straight through Iran. We didn't want to go through Iran, um, so we are going up through the Baltics, taking a ferry over the Caspian, and then going through all the stands, uh, a little into Russia, and then down into Mongolia. My goodness. So to put 10,000 miles in perspective, that's across America, back across America. So it's San Francisco to New York, New York, San Francisco, San Francisco back to New York, roughly. I would assume. I, I've never made that I ride. It's yeah, 3,000 miles across yeah. our, our small continent. Wow. And you're going to go 10,000 miles. Yeah. So it's going to take us about, um, I want to say, seven weeks. 
Um, then uh, another thing that was on my bucket list was riding on the Trans-Siberian Railroad. So we're going to uh, drop off the car in Mongolia and then get on the Trans-Siberian from Mongolia to Moscow. And then um, a bunch of FEMBAs are doing uh, the study abroad in Berlin this year. And so they're going to be flying to Munich and uh, doing Oktoberfest. And uh, they've invited me to do Oktoberfest. So at the end, I will fly uh, to Munich and meet them for Oktoberfest and then fly back here and have uh, three days and then class starts. That's amazing. Have you been to Oktoberfest before? I have not. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, I worked three years in, in Munich, so and I moved there during Oktoberfest. Oh wow! And I moved home three years later during October, <coughs> so I actually got I squeezed four Oktoberfests into a three year oh, into a three year period into a three year period with Siemens there. So um, it's an amazing the scale of that is is um, it's impressive. Yeah, if you look up just the, yeah, how many I, chickens are eaten, how much beer is consumed. I've looked uh, up uh, some of the statistics, and it's just mind boggling. Yes, it's very German, very organized, and the the tents, you know, they're they're. They're not tents. They're these massive structures with canvas walls oh, that'll, sure. hold, that'll hold 5,000 people a pop. And there's 10 of them down the V's in there. Um, my goodness. So how do you... So seven weeks. Now, how many hours a day are you driving? Uh, we're probably going to be driving between eight and 10 hours a day, um, though we've... Um We've budgeted in some time uh, to stop over in different cities, and uh, you know, like we're we're going to be spending three days in Istanbul, for example. Um, and um, yeah, um, I mean, the thing is, like in some places, surprising places, the roads are great. So, like for example, uh, certain areas of Uzbekistan have awesome roads, and then in other areas like Kazakhstan, uh, you can't go faster than ten, maybe fifteen miles an hour. Um, the other thing that's going to be a bit of a challenge is that we bought the car in the UK um, and it's a manual, so it's on the other side of you know... Uh, oh, you have to yeah, you gotta shift sh with your left sh hand? Shift with your left hand, but most of the route once you, or all the route once you exit the UK is on the American side of the road. Oh, no. Yeah, so... So you're going to be having to steer, or I mean... It'll be, yourself from across. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. I mean, you know, I, I definitely I, I rode a motorcycle in uh, Thailand, so I'm I'm used to being on that side of the road, or you know, like different sides of the road doing different kinds of things. Uh, but this will definitely be, I think, a challenge, especially the first couple of days. And do you guys? I mean, so everybody's all plugged in twenty four seven. So you're going to be kind of unplugged, or what kind of technology do you have, or do you not have? Sure. Um, so I um, I use Google Fi, which is um, a it's like Google's carrier, um, and it uh, brings together I think Sprint, T-Mobile, and U.S. Cellular, um, and so they allow global roaming, um, which covers fifteen of the twenty countries we're going through. Um, and so we'll have relatively slow internet um, in 15 of those countries um, and then, you know, stopping for Wi-Fi if we can find it. Wow. Yeah. Um, we have, um, you know, there, there will be a lot of hostels, but there, there's going to be a lot of camping, especially once we get out of Europe. Um, so we have solar-powered lights, so solar-powered lanterns. Um, and um, we have a backpacking stove that runs off unleaded gasoline. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. Okay. You're young, and this is awesome, and this is what you do when you... Uh, this is what you do. This is what you do. Yeah. 
Okay, and um, and then I don't think we told people, so how many teams are participating? So it's uh, approximately 300 teams, I think 800 total participants. This is the largest year for the Mongol Rally ever. Um, it's put on by the Adventurists, um, and they're a group that sort of throw these adventure-like uh, events where you pretty much have to do it yourself. Um, and, um, uh, you know, they have one where um, you ride a horse um, or a series of horses through Genghis Khan's old mail route, wow. a thousand kilometers, yeah. Um, another one's called the rickshaw run, which is uh, from north to south India, and you have to do it in a rickshaw. Um, so, yeah, uh, they're a pretty cool organization. Wow. But, you know, none of this is for the faint of heart, that's for sure. So, you know, how... How do you prepare yourself mentally? So what's what's the what's the game you want to win? How are you going to know if you won? How are you going to know if you failed? Do you even think about it like that? Is it more just the experience is going to be what the experience is going to be? Well, it, it's like life in general, which is that um, success is how you define it. Uh, if you... Yeah, it, you know, it, it's not a race. That's the first thing. Um, but I guess uh, the second thing is uh, it's important when going into... A, anything um, uh, to really realize why you're there, why you're doing it, what you hope to get out of it. Um, and I, I really realized that when doing the Peace Corps. Um, I went into the Peace Corps to do, um, not to save the world, not to help people, but to just challenge myself and grow and learn. Um, and, you know, if I help some people in the you know, meantime, that's great. Um, but, you know, those were my primary goals. Um, and I think I've kept those going forward is to challenge myself, you know, and to grow and to learn and to learn about myself. And that's why I'm here at Anderson. But that's also why I'm doing the Mongol rallies, you know, again, to try to challenge myself. Yeah. How will you how will you choose to chronicle will you keep a diary will it be a photo I mean uh, yeah so uh, we have a website uh, friskydingo.rocks um, and that um, our team is called Frisky Dingo and um, we're going to be uploading video um, uh, like little sh short uh, written pieces and uh, photos. Um, and we're going to be doing that as much as we can, um, depending on how the Internet is. Uh, probably the videos will come later um, as we get better Internet, but we'll see. Or maybe after the event. Yeah, after the event, we'll edit everything. Um, but the photos should come uh, pretty much in real time as we're going through it. Um, give or take, you know, Mongolia, there's no Internet, and we're going to be in Mongolia for 10 to 14 days, um, and there's just... Like it's there. There aren't really any roads. So I mean, there are roads, but we're just going to be driving through grassland. So uh, we're not going to have an opportunity when we're in Mongolia to to upload anything. Oh, so you're going to be off of a highway for ten to fourteen days? Yeah. So there, there's sort of dirt paths that then disappear. Um, you know, and you have to cross rivers and streams. Uh, hopefully, uh, the water flow isn't too high. Um, I mean, Mongolia is a harsh place. Um, I mean, we couldn't do this in winter. In winter, uh, it gets to something like negative 30, negative 40, um, and, you know, your tears freeze on your face, that kind of thing. So um, that's why you go to Mongolia in the summer. But even still, uh, you know, the infrastructure is not quite built up, you know, to, uh, to take you all the way across. Oh my goodness! Okay, I'm I'm exhausted just listening. And you're gonna you're gonna do this for a, a, almost two months. Is is kind of the 
basic yeah. the basic yeah um i mean the the total adventure will be about two months because um, afterward we'll be on the trans-siberian railroad which is now picnic so that'll bring you back to germany uh, yeah that'll bring me to moscow then i fly to germany oh, okay. okay yeah train to moscow fly yeah. to germany connect with some feminists at Oktoberfest. yeah and then fly back and then be back for the first day of your second year yeah get over my jet lag and boom class Oh my goodness! Well, um, Victor, I, I've run out of questions. You've you've exhausted my imagination, and that's an amazing thing. I love it. Um, how can people support you? How can people follow you? We'll we'll put we'll put this into the notes when we post the podcast. We'll have friskydingo.rocks, your website. Great, yeah. And so we also have a fundraising website, um, which we'll link to uh, both in uh, on our website friskydingo.rocks, R-O-C-K-S, um, and. Um, yeah, in addition, uh, we'll provide a direct link, I hope, in uh, the f- footnotes to this uh, podcast where you can donate directly to uh, Cool Earth. None of that money comes to us. It all just goes directly to Cool Earth, um, and we're trying to raise as much money as we can. So uh, even if we're at 100%, uh, and I hope we're at it, uh, we, we hope to go beyond that. Um, we're going to be raising money um, along our route, um, and so, yeah, both from people at home and people who we pass. Well, anything else about the Mongol Rally that we should let our listeners know about? I don't think so. I think that pretty much covers it. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, and this is a non-sequitur totally, but anything, because you're our first non-2016 recent graduate, you've, you've completed the first year, anything you'd want to share with the people who are one year behind you in FEMBA, so the entering class of 2019, any lessons learned from your first year that you might want to pay forward to them? Sure. Um... For me, uh, a large part of the value of the MBA um, is the network that you're creating, and that network includes your fellow students um, in your section, out of your section, future years, uh, past years, um, and also staff. Um, And so I'd really recommend trying to engage the Anderson community as much as possible. Go to the happy hours, go to the events, talk with people, um, and uh, pick people's brains. Most people, uh, staff included, are really open, really supportive, really willing to talk about um, what they do and give you advice, you know, if you're starting your own business or you've come across a problem in your job or just in your life um, that you need help with. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's what I'd say. Well, I love it. And the, the evidence is in. You know, you, you, had, you found Professor Fracious and, and his expertise for, for, you know, international taxation and international growth, and, and your, both of your companies are now becoming global enterprises, and you're about to have a 20-country <laughs> personal experience um, after having lived in Thailand for seven years. So um, thank you for being such a wonderful representative of America. You're a real global citizen. Thank you. And uh, it's, it's amazing, and we're going to be following you with our fingers crossed and slightly holding our breath, but you're, you're ready to go. And you're going to let us know. We're going to watch and learn and see postings, and then we'll welcome you back. I don't know. We have to have some Saturday morning. I don't know what our version of a ticker tape parade might be, but you will have left the car in Mongolia, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We're we're actually shipping it to Estonia where we're scrapping it. Okay. You probably never, ever want to see that car again. A lot of the cars don't have their doors by the time (laughs) they're done, so, yeah. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I've never conducted a podcast nearly as off the grid. <laughs> so this is Victor Gebhardt. We will put his uh, his links and connections on the website. Thank you so much 
for uh, catalyzing this conversation, and I can't wait to follow your journey. Thank you.